So this point in the course, we make a rather abrupt shift, though I think with some real continuity, from Jean-Paul Sartre's work to Frantz Fanon's work. In this uh, session today, and so what I want to talk about a bit here, we discuss the introduction and the uh, first chapter of Black Skin, White Masks. Black Skin, White Masks is Fanon's first work, uh, certainly not his most popular or most cited or uh, even, I think, most influential. That would definitely be The Wretched of the Earth, which was published in 1961 at the end of his life. Fanon published Black Skin, White Masks in 1952, and I think that uh, the book, although it hasn't had the same kind of effect uh, globally, for sure, but even in the Black Atlantic world, has not had the same effect as The Wretched of the Earth. It is, uh, nevertheless, I have to say, my favorite of his texts. What I like about it is it employs a mixed methods approach to the study of anti-blackness and the meaning of anti-blackness in part, uh, in, in a small part for uh, white people, but in large part for black people. The mixed methods really have to do with Fanon's own training as an intellectual, which is deeply uh, in, uh, deeply indebted to and involved with uh, psychoanalytic approaches uh, to understanding trauma, the psyche, language, and so forth, but also phenomenology and existentialism, uh, that being, of course, the focus of this particular course and our conversation, and also uh, a number of other trends in his uh, particular moment, including Marxism. I'm thinking in particular that moment in the introduction when he says that um, that the practice of racism or colonial uh, racism is firstly economic and then all of these other things. <clears throat> that is that the economic lies at a base of so much of what he's talking about in the course of Black Skin, White Masks. But we really didn't talk and won't really talk about uh, the Marxian dimensions of the book. I think those are interesting, but they really move a lot of the conversation away from the existential dimensions of the text. I will say this, though, that what for me is so important about his evocation of the economic is that it stands in as one word for what we might more broadly call the institutional. That is, that the institutional aspects of racism are not somehow epiphenomenal, right? They're not just produced by the, you know, as a sort of secondary effect of some sort of primary scene of anti-black racism. Rather, those institutions, or what he just calls the economic, uh, play an integral role in reproducing the psychological and existential dimensions that he discusses across the book. That is, we don't need only, or it's not enough, uh, but certainly not the case that only the psychological play of colonialism is uh, to account for anti-blackness. Rather, that psychological play is sustained by institutional factors that produce or that function both as mirrors of the psychological and also uh, buttresses for the psychological. That is the psychological existential dimensions that we talked we, that I'm going to talk about here. You know, that have to do with the inferiority complex, that have to do with language and the zone of non-being. All of these things are certainly psychological existential dynamics, 
but they are also reflected in the way institutions structure anti-black life at a broad social and political level. And also those social and political dimensions or aspects of anti-blackness hold up or give support to, essential support to, the practices of anti-blackness at the psychological and existential levels. That intertwining is so important in the book. While the book is largely about the existential psychological aspects of anti-blackness and its effects on black subjectivity, we always have to understand that for Fanon there are these institutional or what he just calls economic dimensions that in some of his later work and certainly at later essays, but certainly in his last work, The Wretched of the Earth, those institutions will play a prominent role. When we see the institutions of anti-blackness playing a prominent role in The Wretched of the Earth, I do think we can go back and see an organic or natural relationship between those two texts written nearly a decade apart. Rhetorically, they're very different books, but I think they draw on one and the same phenomenon, right? The phenomenon is an economic base or an institutional basis of anti-blackness that plays out at the, at the existential psychological level, and those existential psychological dimensions of anti-blackness are held up by and reflected in institutional practices of anti-black racism. Senses of exclusion, of non-belonging, of oppression, of suffering, and of course premature death. Now the book starts out with a quotation from Aimé Césaire's Discourse on Colonialism. But there's an echo also of that book, just a few lines in, when he talks about, or makes reference to, or gesture towards this idea of a new humanism. That idea of a new humanism is the conclusion, it, we can find elaborated in the conclusion of The Wretched of the Earth, but the idea of a new humanism is rooted firstly in Césaire's discourse on colonialism, where Césaire quite famously calls for uh, what, uh, in his phrase, a humanism made to the measure of the world. The idea there is that humanism as we've known it, this idea of human, inherent human value, has never been racially neutral. Rather, humanism as the basis of human value and therefore how you evaluate who is and who is not free or degrees of freedom, right? That that's always been rooted in white subjectivity. And because it's rooted in white subjectivity, it can never include fully non-white peoples. In Fanon's case, and what he's interested in, in black skin, white masks, black people. Black people are rather in that sense of humanism, right? Not the new humanism, because that's something to come in the future. That's post-revolution. Some sort of revolutionary something needs to happen in order to initiate this new vision. But what humanism as we know it, that's racially tied to whiteness, what that has done for black people is relegate black people to what Fanon calls the zone of non-being. This idea of the zone of non-being is important because it, for me, serves as a, as, a, as a phrase that captures the particular existential abjection of black people in an anti-black world. 
the abjection comes not from being a different kind of being, but from being excluded from being itself, right? And there's something, uh, and this is why I use this word abject, there's something disgusting and revolting about the sight of a non-human, right, from the zone of non-being playing the role of human in the white gaze. And that's why the hostility and intensity of white racism, of anti-black racism, uh, has uh, real roots in affect, in how we feel, right, as a society. That anti-blackness through its psychological and, anti and uh, uh, existential dimensions, again, buttressed by and reflected in institutional practices, part of why there's such intensity of, of feeling there is because the very structure of the world is transgressed the moment black people make an assertion of humanity. And that the, the, the backlash or the lashing out against that has its roots in this notion of the proper place of black subjects is in the zone of non-being. And the movement out of that zone of non-being is at best fraught right, and full of pitfalls, and at worst, something to be blocked with the ultimate violence, right, death and destruction. Now, how does one imagine, in this case, the exit from the zone of non-being? Part of that has to do with Fanon's own uh, biographical, the, the biography of Fanon, his biographical uh, trajectory, right, that he was one of the few students in the, uh, in the French colonies to uh, be permitted to study in France. And that moment of, of leaving Martinique to study in France is important, partly because, you know, again, biographically, it puts him into contact with all of these uh, radical French uh, thinkers from M.A. Césaire, Suzanne Césaire, Léon Damas, and so forth. He is in contact with them, and that gives him a different sensibility, changes his, his intellectual life and all of that. But in terms of the, the book, Black Skin, White Masks, especially that first chapter, what that time in France does is introduce him to the, one of the exit strategies from the zone of non-being. That exit strategy is through language. As he makes clear in the book, Language is not an instrument, it's not a tool. It's not something that one uses or doesn't use in certain ways. Rather, language is existential. It's constitutive of our very existence as thinking and acting creatures. And when we think of, of thinking and ourselves as thinking and acting creatures, we can see how embedded our lives are and the meaning of our lives are both as individuals who think and reflect and as social creatures who move about in the world, how deeply that's all connected to and entwined with language. So when Fanon says that to speak a language is to enter a world, to speak a language is to adopt a culture and civilization, he's just really making an observation about the function of language in an existential context. That language speaks to and from the core of our very existence. So when language is located there, it's located in being proper. 
that is the relationship between language and being and phenon is uh, they're inseparable right it's an absolute connection if black people exist in the zone of non-being in an anti-black world what does that mean for something like language in the case of phenon his relationship to french well that's where i say and this is my phrasing that Fanon sees language as this exit strategy from the zone of non-being. Of course, this is an anti-black world, so the promise of an exit strategy is, is a cruel trick, right? And is, as I said, uh, fraught and full of pitfalls at best. And the reason why it's not an actual exit strategy, but something like a mirage, right, that... Uh, draws you toward it only to disappoint you and, and to punish you is again that language is so connected to culture and world and civilization and so when we're talking about Fanon speaking French he's not just talking about you know a French-ish language or French as something that could be modified and changed and and you know creolized and and broadened across the world Rather, he means French as the nation's language, the national language of France. This is not simply his theory. It's a long-standing sort of philosophical take on language, that language and thought and culture are so intimately related. And it certainly is a characteristic of France as, as a nation. The attachment of France to the French language is intense and not without reason in the sense, again, that language is tied to culture and civilization. And without culture and civilization in language, language is really nothing more than a tool. If language is something more, that is, it's capable of poetry, it's capable of, of, nov or of you know, composing novels and, and uh, bearing witness to all of our experiences, you know, profound and mundane, the language is something more than just a tool, right? It's, it's, it's intimately related to the meaning of life. But what Fanon learns when he's in France is that no matter how well he speaks the French of France, that is a white person's French, he is nevertheless black. He is nevertheless a black man who is speaking white French. That, dis that disconnect, right? that there is French, which is white French, and he is a black man speaking French. The, and, and the way that sets a limit to his exit strategy or exit path out of the zone of non-being into being, um, that, that has a couple of, of, of features, right? One is what he calls the problem of diction, right? That diction, that, that way one learns to speak a language in, in this case, in the tone, right? In the sound and in the precision and in the phrasing, all of those, those, those like kinesthetic dimensions, all those embodied dimension of, dimensions of language, right? That's the standard. But the standard cannot be met by him because the function of race is not... In, in, in an anti-black world is not some naturalistic or biological conception where somehow the black man is unable to master this idea of French, right? Um, 
Rather, no matter how much dic how much Fanon uh, can perfect his diction, the function of race and racism in an anti-black world is epidermal. That is, it's on the skin. That no matter how he speaks, he still speaks from a black body. And that relationship between speaking from a black body and the problem of diction means that there is a limit, and it's a quick and absolute limit, to the to the uh, uh, to how far one can exit as a black person from the zone of non-being. As well, to enter right France through the French language is for the black man to enter white culture and civilization. Already built into that movement are forms of alienation that Fanon is just underscoring. He's not giving us an alternative. He's just trying to get us to see the severity and intensity of this dilemma, right? That built into the very idea of culture and civilization are ideas of language and race. In that way, there is no escaping the punishing force of colonialism. Because colonialism, and this is for me a really important way to put it, that colonialism is a total project. It leaves no aspect of the world or the person untouched. So, in this case, even at the moment of speaking, colonialism is present. Even in the moment of gesturing with one's body, colonialism is present. It's a total project. It's in all aspects of the world and our life together. So that limit being built into speaking French as a black man and the relationship of that limit to exiting the zone of non-being for the uh, zone of being, right? That limit is only makes sense if we understand that colonialism was always a total project. The elimination of, of in the case of the Caribbean, of all relations of, elimination of all relations of, of uh, indigeneity, right? That, that, that native languages are eliminated on the plantation over centuries, if not just even over uh, months and years. But over centuries, those, that, those relations to pre-colonial forms of life, linguistic and otherwise, are eliminated. So that puts the colonized subject, black people in the Americas, in this bind that seems to have no escape, right? Which is you have no pre-colonial resources for speaking and knowing. What you have are colonial resources for speaking and knowing. But the speaking and knowing that come with those colonial resources means that, and this is the phrase from the introduction, that to be black is, the, the destiny of being black is to be white. Again, the destiny of being black is to be white. But, of course, being black, you can never be white. It's that necessity of whiteness and the impossibility of achieving it that builds alienation into our very relationship in an interracial space, a barrier to, to any relationship of reciprocity. Because at every moment that entry into being is mediated by and moderated by white dependency or white recognition. White rec the dependency on white recognition is one of the ways that that white people, 
right, in white culture, white language, control the space of being, control the space outside the zone of non-being. So being trapped between being and non-being, that's Fanon's autobiographical dimension of black skin, white masks. That his time in France tells him to speak this language is to adopt the culture and civilization of a people who don't want me there. And if it's to adopt that thing that people don't want me there, it's to set me on a path of impossibility, right? That my destiny is something that can never be achieved. As well, that venturing out of the zone of non-being into the sort of limbo space between non-being and being, I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. What is, how do we name that between space of non-being and being? That's where Fanon is when he's in France. But when he returns, of course, he also returns to a world that thinks he's trying to be white, right? He returns to a black world that thinks he's trying to be white. And so the way, again, colonialism functions as a total project is that it fucks up every single move one might make for liberation, right? To speak the language is to adopt a culture and civilization that doesn't want you. So you adopt it and they always find ways through the management of diction and, and the epidermal, right? The embod and embodiment to exclude black people from being. But that movement outside of the zone of non-being into the between space, right, where you are neither accepted or, or sorry, you are not accepted and all, uh, only rejected by the white world, but also you have made this move out of the zone of non-being um, and caught in between, there is no liberate, liberated space. There is no liberated space because, again, to go back to the question of a new humanism, the very idea of being human is owned and managed by white people in an anti-black world. And that means the zone of non-being is a sort of permanent condition of all black people in a world that has anti-blackness at its core. So part of what he's getting at and where I sort of want to leave this is that non-being is obvious. The zone of non-being is exactly uh, a site uh, where we ought to think about sites of rebellion against that zone, right? But it's not rebellion against that zone in order to enter white civilization and culture. That would miss the whole point of the epidermal character of, of our relationship to one another, that we are embodied to one another. And so the question of race as an epidermal phenomenon is can't be uh, erased, right? But also more deeply, because that space that one would, would enter upon leaving the zone of non-being is a white notion, white European notion of the, <coughs> of the human. So what we need is to transform that space that we share. Because remember, he says at the beginning, black man is locked in his blackness, the white man is locked in his whiteness. This is the root of the problem. Because white people being, uh, white man being locked in his whiteness means that the white man is committed to managing this notion of human and moderating and mediating any kind of entry into this category of human and of humanity. For black people to be locked in their blackness means the zone of non-being always functions like a ghost or a halo so surrounding any black movement out into interracial space. If there's this mutual locked into racial identities with very different consequences, 
right? But both white and black people are locked into these racial identities in an anti-black world, then the only way for those identities to be broken, for there to be other possibilities than being locked into whiteness or locked into blackness, and blackness being locked into something abject in the zone of non-being, the only other possibility is to fundamentally change that world we share. What it means to change, in, at least in these first uh, introduction in this first chapter, to change that world is to change a conception of the human and of humanity. So that when we talk about the human and about humanity, we are not talking abstractly about something, right? We are talking about what it means to belong to the world and belong to one another, right? As mutual creators of a world. That requires a world so different than what we have known for centuries. And again, that's going to revolve around what does it mean to be human? How do we define humanism? How do we define human worth and value? That has to be thought from the ground up. That means everything else has to be destroyed and something else has to take, a place, take its place. Wretched of the Earth is in some ways about that, in many ways, if not totally, about that. Black Skin White Mass is a diagnostic. It's to say, here's the disease we suffer from, right? Here's our illness and here are its symptoms. We cannot cure the symptoms, right? The symptoms would be bad diction. You get more diction, you're still sick because we have not addressed the fact that these symptoms are produced by something that is decimating and diseased. A different conception of the uh, a conception of the human that is exclusive and imperial and white, and a notion of language that uses the civilizational and cultural um, uh, core of of language and its expressive function that uses that to exclude and include. In other words, what it would mean to think black liberation on this model is to move through an account of the zone of non-being and the zone of being and the racial components of that and say, at what point can we lift colonialism out of this? What does it take with it in terms of notions of the human, the function of language, and the relation of language to civilization and culture? You start to modify and alter those things. You start to catch sight of different possibilities of being human, different possibilities of interhuman connection and world making. That does not exist and it does not have precedent. That's so important for Fanon. It does not have precedent. When we read the conclusion, this will be a huge theme because he's like, what we want is something that's never been known on this earth, right? And after centuries of anti-black racism being baked into our very institutions, whether those are economic or linguistic and everything in between, after centuries of it, this is the nature of the world. In order for there to be other possibilities, that world, the world as we know it, is something that has to be destroyed.